Strong Talk with Vicki Baez and JC. Enjoy the show! Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for yet another fantastic week of human resources talk on the internet where everything is true. HR Talk, I'm JC. It's a pleasure to be back here on the uh, on the show. I felt for a while like I've been kicked off. I'm only kidding. Hey, if you've been paying attention to the schedule of HR Talk, though, you know that there's two excellent extra shows a week now. So if you are listening and tuning in to those, we want to hear your feedback. We had the amazing Mr. Jeffrey Shaw on this past Friday talking with Mr. Ricky Baez. It was, it was great. It was stupendous. It was one of the greatest things in the world. Very big, very large. We'll be hearing about that coming up momentarily. And please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, Ricky Baez. Hello. Human resources people. How is everyone doing? How are you doing, JC? Oh, I'm 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 filled with joy and laughter like a, a like a child on their birthday. When I woke up today. And I saw that the HR Tiki Taki was like full of activity, and there were all these new videos that the intern put up last night. I couldn't help but laugh. What was we going awesome. on there? What's oh my gosh, that's so amazing. I you know what? That video showed up, we sent it to the intern, and we're like, you know what? Let loose. And the intern's like, it's literally 10 p.m. I'm <laughs> off the clock. It didn't really matter if I was on the clock, because I'm not getting paid anyway. What the hell? Hey, <laughs> and for, it just went to for both of you out there that uh, do do follow us on the uh, various social medias stop by tiktok hr talk podcast and uh there's some good clips out there i think one of them even made its way to the instagrammy as well so word yeah it's all good rick uh you had a very productive week uh you and you and uh intern dave sat down on wednesday and talked about stuff with things that was very enthralling how fun was that it's fun give us a wrap up on what wednesday was if you could so Wednesday, we talked a little bit about um, the cruise industry, you know, the intern Davis in Florida as well. He's a big cruiser, just like I am. And we talked a little bit about how COVID is putting a damper on the whole cruising industry. We just can't wait for it to come back. And then the previous episode, when he um, he dropped the bomb on on being a new associate, quote unquote, and um, not having a plan of attack um, about where his 90 day probation was going. So I'm like, huh, OK. Let's start talking about that. So we start talking about setting things, setting an employee up for success, which is key. It's key these days. And uh, something I guess I haven't done with it. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason we lost the face of the franchise on the program, tell you the truth. It's, oh God. But what do you mean? He's the one who started this all. He's the one who needs to give us guidance. He's the face. You know, I was talking with him this past week, and he was actually really excited that we're all going to have the chance to get together next week in person leading up to oh, yes. Space Coast HR Conference over in Melbourne, Florida on the 21st of April for the in-person live event. Yeah, there, there's going to be social distancing in effect, but there's going to be an amazing plethora of speakers. Ricky and I will both be there on the floor. We're going to be looking forward to uh, meeting everyone, shaking everyone's hand, giving group hugs. It'll be a very great thing. I don't know if we could do any of that, though, anymore in, in uh, Florida, can we? Um, group we hugs can. and handshakes? No, just handshakes, group hugs. I don't know. Just make sure you bathe in Clorox and wipes afterwards, but you should be okay. You know what? I found myself, now that I'm going out more and in, 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 uh, just hanging out with other HR people in conferences, I started to 
changed my dialogue. Instead of saying, hey, how you doing? I'm like, are you a hugger? Are you a fist bumper? Are you just a from afar goodbyer? Or what are you? So you have to ask that these days to avoid that awkward fist bump, handshake. It's it's just weird. Well, just if you are across the border from uh, from the northern coast here, the United States, and uh, for some of the listeners of HR Talk, you may not be aware. I, I know that they, we have a, a few friends and, and family members out there that that do uh, really enjoy Canada. But as of right now, Ontario, Canada implemented a province-wide emergency break on April 3rd as a result in the surge of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations. According to a press release issued by Premier Doug Ford, the shutdown of Ontario will remain in place for approximately four weeks. Um, their, their intent is to try to vaccinate everyone as much as possible. Dining's been shut down. Travel is being uh, being squashed as well. If you if you do travel, you have to quarantine, self quarantine, in a government sanctioned hotel. Um, at the same time, upon return, there's there's a whole lot going on with that. According to Canada's COVID nineteen tracker, more than six point seven million doses of the vaccine have been administered to fifteen percent of the Canadian population. Three people have gotten it, and they received at least one dose. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports that the U.S. has administered 169 million doses of the vaccine and 32 percent of American population has at least uh, one stick shoved in them. Now, on March 18th, uh, the Department of Homeland Security announced the border would continue to be closed to non-essential travel through April 21st. During all this time, the Vancouver Canucks Canadian hockey team are experiencing one of the largest COVID outbreaks in all of sports history over the past year, since a lot of in-person sports have have fired back up. Ultimately, at the end of the day, um, the goal in Ontario is to... Uh, uh, Doug Ford put out a tweet here. Um, Ontario is moving into phase two of its COVID-19 vaccine distribution plan. They're expecting to vaccinate over 9 million Ontarians between April and the end of June. So this four-week lockdown that's in place right now, minimum four-week, could extend all the way to the end of the June timeframe with the goal of getting things back up and running as of July. At the same time, uh, spring breakers are enjoying spring break on the shores of Florida, where most bars and clubs are back open. Ricky, back to you. All are back open. And actually, spring break is over now. But uh, man, it was it, it, it's just going to downtown Disney, going to downtown Orlando. And I went to Daytona for a little bit. It's I get social anxiety when I'm in the middle of a crowd on the normal circumstances, let alone let alone when there's a pandemic going on. And, yeah, I can see how the a surge is going to happen. All these kids and people are going to go back to where they came from and start coughing at other people's faces. And boom, there we go. Right back to lockdowns. But man, Canada's really taking that lead, huh? So. Question, how much do you think one of those shots costs? One of those uh, COVID-19 shots? $10 million. <laughs> In Mexican pesos. I believe it. I do believe it. Uh, no, because it's, um, you know, the, this pandemic did a, quite a number on the American economy, to the exception of Amazon, Walmart, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson, because they are making out like a fat cat. And... You kind of have to. I mean, I get it. People need to be vaccinated and do your research. If you want to do it, do so. If you don't, oh, well, but just take you know the proper procedures to stay safe. 
But you got to wonder, pushing it so hard, how much each shot costs and how much money they're spending on this. So approximately uh, from Healthline.com back November 29th of 2020, the cost for each dose ranges from 3 to $37, depending on the vaccine. Oh, okay. It's not as 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 uh, crazy that it was going to be. As of March 15, 2021, managedhealthcareexecutive.com states that the price of the Pfizer vaccine is $19.50 per dose. So these can be that cheap. They would develop in record time. Meanwhile, other things cost $3, $400, $5,000MS. So medication for MS is about five, six thousand dollars a month. So how come those are? Uh, yeah, okay, I'm not gonna go down that road. <laughs> but you have to question the push, and you have to question who's making money, um, uh, like a fat cat out of this. But all right, that's that's a topic for an, for another time. But guess what? Take a wild guess what I'm doing next week, JC. Next week, you will be getting ready for the Space Coast 2021 conference in Melbourne, Florida. Um, wrong. I'm already ready. I'm ready for that. Awkward pause. No, dude, I'm getting a uh I'm I'm I did my research and I'm finally settling down and I'm gonna find me a nice place to get a shot. So I'm getting my shot next next Wednesday. The first one, because then I have the Johnson and Johnson one over at the VA. But um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit scared. I'm not gonna lie. I'm hearing a lot of horror stories about uh side effects. Listen, so. as of right now, it's coming at a very good time for you because Disney has announced that they plan to open a new Epcot Creation Shop in Club Cool. That's why I'm doing it, JC, because of the new Club Cool. <laughs> yeah, this summer the theme park's gonna open a new flagship merchandise location called Creation Shop. And uh, they're moving forward with opening up a brand new club cool where you're more than welcome to stop by. Yeah, that's exactly why I'm doing it. Did you hear those uh, stories this past week about uh, multiple locations across the U.S. being shut down for uh, side effects to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? No, what happened? Yeah, pull it up on the Google while I'm chatting. I believe there was a spot out um, around the mountains somewhere possibly Colorado or Utah, as well as down in North Carolina, where um, I, w- I want to say it was Wake County. I may stand corrected. Ricky will have the uh, core facts on this. But locations were uh, they, they were shutting down distribution due to reported alleged side effects, uh, nausea, vomiting, uh, heart pain, blood clots, etc. Some of it's uh, unproven. Some of it was also um, information that was being put out there uh, Slightly unfounded. What do you What do you have? What What did you find? Not out west. This is from CBS News by Nikki Batiste. Uh, this is yesterday. Georgia becomes third state to shut down Johnson and Johnson vaccine site after adverse action, adverse reactions. So the J and J coronavirus vaccine is facing double dose of problems. <laughs> I like what they did there. Georgia is the third state to temporarily shut down a vaccine site after eight people suffered adverse reaction to the shot. Yeah, two days ago, it was uh, out in Colorado, and um, one day or two days ago, it was North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Early in the week, 18 people in North Carolina reported side effects, while 11 people in Colorado 
reacted to the shot with symptoms ranging from dizziness, nausea, and fainting. Wow, then I know What this. you're not getting out of this story, though, and it is slightly biased, is because uh, when we're thinking about our, our healthcare workers and those that we know that are nurses that have gotten their second shot of, let it be either Pfizer or Moderna, and the complications that they're continuing to have across the board with some of the side effects, it's on par. It's on par with some of the things yeah. that they're reporting with the, the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine as well. It's just, I don't know, there seems to be a slight uh, bias yeah. there regarding <laughs> yeah. vaccine I distributions. I mean, SNL even did a skit on that about, you know, the differences in the vaccines and, and whatnot. Hey, uh, if you choose to do it, great. If you don't choose to do it, that's fine. At the same time, though, there's uh, there's some clarity from the EEOC regarding um, lawmakers seeking clarity on EEOC regulations concerning incentives for COVID-19 vaccines. This is coming to us from the National Law Review, published April 9th. Uh, incentive programs for employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine. It continues to be at the forefront of the minds of organizations as vaccines pick up speed. However, concerns about privacy and the shifting positions on the wellness program regulation have left many employers weary about implementing a more robust incentives um, like shopper club cards or movie tickets. Employer-sponsored wellness programs may come in many forms like an education campaign to inform employees about healthy eating, a gym membership subsidy, a health risk questionnaire to help employees be more informed about their health risks, a walking program to encourage employees to use their feet, <laughs> making health coaches available for engagement on general wellness and or chronic health issues available for maybe one to two questions. And then past that, they'll have to pay on their own. And then satisfaction of key health related measures, heart rate, cholesterol level, body mass index, etc. Um, Depending on the design of the COVID-19 vaccine incentive program, though, when we're thinking about disability-related inquiries, they very easily could be evolved, Rick. And it helps it helps elevate and, and highlight that question about how voluntary is the program at the end of the day. Is a $50 gift card too much? Or maybe what about a $500 gift card? They say in the article, will those types of gift card programs help render the program involuntary? How about two days off with pay? It's worth noting that according to the EEOC, quote, simply requesting proof of receipt of a COVID-19 vaccination is not likely to elicit information about a disability and therefore not a disability related inquiry. Yeah, not the card. No. No, but. I wonder. I mean, I get it. And here I am being cynical. I get it that organizations, quote unquote, want people to be safe. But let's put that aside for a second. Why the big push? There's policies in place. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. But you still have to follow social distancing protocols at work. Whether you're vaccinated or not, you still have to wear a mask at the office. You still have to be social distancing. So I, I don't see why organizations are pulling out all of these particular stops unless it's to just get their names in the news and just write the coattails of the media train. I mean, otherwise, what's the, what's the point? Get people back in the office, right? 
Is that what they want? I don't know, I'm, man. There's been <laughs> some people on the Tiki Talkies. There was a uh, there was one that I shared with you actually I from this that, week. Man. I don't know if you've got the opportunity to pull that up while we're live here, but there's a consensus building out there on the social media platforms where people feel that if they stay remote, they may lose their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, hold on. I'm looking for it right now. Give me a second. I'm finding it. I'm finding it. There was a gentleman that uh, voiced his concerns about jobs being shipped overseas and people losing employment opportunities if they don't return to the office. All right. I found it. Here we go. Hold on a second. I'm going to bring this up. Jerry G is the big. I don't know what I just said there. But. You do understand. I would have kept talking while you were padding time to get the clip ready. <laughs> I know. I felt left out. All right. Go ahead. Your employees, why are millions of you all in America going to lose your job in the next few years? Well, here's a message from the top 1%. Stop trying to work from home. Let me say that again. Stop trying to work from home. Or at least if that is what you're advocating for, start realizing what you're actually asking your boss to do. You're asking your boss to do a cost-benefit analysis over you being there and you not being there. Your proximity gives you certain access to them. I wonder how much you could do that a $3 an hour virtual assistant in India couldn't. Hmm. You are going to be replaced by other people that will give your boss the exact same amount of value with far less cost. Stop asking to work from home. And that is <laughs> Preston Brown, the Preston Brown on Tiki Taki. Ricky, what do you think? He sounds like a business owner or a senior leader who's just pissed that everybody is working from home, and this is his way to incentivize them otherwise. He's so passionate about it. Why does he care? Why does he care? If you have a boss... Well, it that- sounds like a PSA to me. It sounds like he's sharing the thoughts and feelings of the top 1% with the rest <laughs> of us so that we could clearly understand. Because up exactly till now, true. we didn't get it, but now we do. So thank you, Preston Brown. So I know. So thank you for that. But all the Ricky. No, no. I have to interrupt you. All these investments in in digital infrastructure and in advancing technology and in remote work and and being flexible and nimble and and building for the future. It means nothing. This is the message from the one percent that Preston is trying to convey. And I think I understand his words in English now. So, so wait, so he is saying, please, please stop asking to work from home. Don't give me, the leader, a reason to look for alternative resources that cost a fraction of what I'm paying you right now. So I got then a question. I, <laughs> I got a question. If that's the that. case, why wait to, to ask to work from home? Do it now. Well, exactly. Hey, like, why haven't you been doing a cost-benefit analysis Thank to you. date, right? <laughs> have to wait for this. Right. Shut up. Because when it came to the pandemic, we just, we caved. And allowed people to work from home. It wasn't a societal push. There was no like, yeah, yeah. You know what? Brian in shipping asked to work from home. And because of Brian, we're going to do it. Did it work like that in your world, Rick? And and wait, no, wait. And, and there's more. Wait a minute. This, I have a weird, weird urge to do a cost-benefit analysis. And now I'm going to go put a, re- a request for quote in India 
to nah, see how nah, I can nah, get nah. somebody to work Only if people are asking to work from home. But if you that's tell it. them to that's work from home, work. yeah. If you tell them to work from home, don't worry about the cost-benefit analysis. You're fine. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, it, it's what a, I'm not going to say it. I'm trying not to cuss anymore. No, I'm, that's what, I'm, I'm happy you're trying not to cuss, but tell me your honest-to-goodness thoughts on this one, please. My honest-to-goodness thought is if, you, if you're a leader who starts thinking about um, uh, outsourcing the job just because associates are working from home, then you are a leader who, who do not deserve really good associates. You do not re- deserve really good employees. You just need to just go, go ahead and do what you need to do. These associates who you're replacing are going to go somewhere else, and they're going to be treated like a human being. They're going to be treated like a great talent, and they're going to thrive in that organization, and your organization is going to wither away. It's just going to wither away. So he wants to be an a-hole. Fine, be an a-hole. People need not to work for a-holes. Just find non-a-hole working environments, and you should be okay. <laughs> Overcompensating. Here. What, what if he's legit, though? What if this is the viewpoint of the top 1% that is now just finally coming out? I think it's bullcrap. It, why? It's bullcrap. Why, why? Because now you're thinking about a cost-benefit an, uh, analysis. How good of a business person are you that you wait for something like this to do one of those things? You should be doing that every quarter. Every single quarter. HR does it. How come operations don't do it? So, no, I think it's crap. He's just pissed. Yeah, That's but you're, you're just fighting the regular HR operations fight, right? Not really. That's all you're doing no. when you're saying that. No, I'm just I'm I'm speaking from somebody who works who hates operations, but I don't hate operations. All of HR does, though, right? It's you know what? I can't argue with that, right? Because there is a feud. feud. Ops and HR don't tend to get along. I'm trying to change that for the most part. But it's it's that that other side of that coin. How do you relate that before? You said it was like shampoo and conditional. Correct. So, so HR before is like shampoo and conditioner. A shampoo came in one bottle, conditioner in a completely separate bottle. But now Pantene two and one, you got them both in there together doing the same job. They're there for the same goal with different points of view. And they work together. That's what we need to be. We need to be Pantene two and one, HR and ops. Disrupt HR Orlando 2017, the H and HR Ricky Bias. Look it up. H and HR. Boom. Man. Just that right there, that right there, I feel like we should give a nod to DMX. Rest in peace, DMX. I don't know why that horn made me think of him, but I really wish we didn't have any royalty issues or if we have some money so we can just play some of his music at the intro and somewhere in the... uh... Oh, ah, that's my boy. And we got to stop, all right? Thank you, DMX. Thank you for everything. Thank you for letting me know when to stop, roll, or just do other things. I really appreciate it. Without you, I would never have known what to do whenever I stop. So thank you very much. Uh, why the DMX praise? I know why, but if you could explain to those that are not aware. Well, I mean, it's a, back in the 90s, DMX was a uh, was a, an icon in, in hip-hop, and he just recently passed away on Friday. He, he passed away, and Prince Williams passed away as well. So I think it comes in threes. We have one more. I don't know what else is going to happen, but that's why I'm giving that nod to DMX. 50 years old, and he died of a heart attack, and I guess he went into a coma or he was in intensive care, and then he passed away a couple of days later. The heart attack was that kicked it off. So rest in peace, DMX. Thank you for everything. Rough Riders. There is a unproven 
claim on the internet as of right now that uh, he did receive the COVID-19 vaccine and it may have played part in his uh, heart issues that ultimately led to his passing this past what? week. What? No. Dude, come on. He did suffer a catastrophic cardiac arrest at the age of 50. And it is unproven and unclear as of right now if there was a connection between that and a possible COVID-19 vaccine. Let me tell you why that idea or that thought process is going to go away really quick. Because now, now as there's a bigger marketing campaign for Americans or anybody worldwide to get these uh, 19 COVID-19 vaccinations, so there's going to be a point that more and more people are going to get it and people are going to die, right? Whether they get it or don't get it, they're going to die. So are they going to attach the or connect the dots between getting the vaccine and death? At some point, that's going to be a new point, right? According to iHeartRadio and Vlad TV, the 50-year-old rapper who was previously on life support was diagnosed with COVID-19 after he was admitted to a New York hospital on Friday, April 2nd. The outlet noted that the visitors are uh, that visitors were being monitored closely, given his proximity and and positive COVID nineteen test results. Only certain family members, specifically his mother and fiance, were allowed in his hospital room. As of Wednesday, April seventh, uh, DMX's manager Steve Rifkin told TMZ that X remained in a coma, and his condition has not materially changed. He also told TMZ that doctors did plan to perform a series of tests Wednesday to determine X's level of brain function, noting that it will be an extremely critical day that could determine his outcome. Hmm. Uh, DMX, whose real name is Earl Simmons, was ultimately hospitalized um, uh, the previous Friday there after suffering a heart attack at his home in White Plains. I didn't know he tested positive. Ah, that puts a new one. I don't want to say a spin. Question. If yeah. you, if you, as per employer encouragement and incentive and the possibility of a $25 gift card to Wawa, go out and get yourself a COVID-19 vaccine. If you took a COVID-19 test, would you also test positive for COVID-19? I mean, if it's 90, if it's 80% effective, I would have to believe so. Because just the other twenty percent is out there. That other twenty percent is the possibility that they, you can still you can still test positive. So yeah, I think you can. That's why people still need to wear a mask and still practice social distancing protocols even after you get that vaccine until everything is completely flattened out. So yeah, um, I think you can. What does the story say? It says you can't. Because if they say they can't, then it should be 100% effective, right? No, it was just a random question. Story didn't oh, say. Absolutely. Story did okay. not say. Um, I want to shift gears with you. There's been a lot going on in the news this past week here, specifically starting in the state of Alabama. <laughs> you give us a laugh. Why don't you set the stage so that we can transition here into the story, please? I will. Actually, I've got the news story up, if you don't mind. This is from... CBC, I don't know what it says, CBC.ca. Canadian and Broadcasting Corporation, currently in lockdown yeah. in Ontario. Got it. And they're saying that Amazon workers in Alabama vote against forming a union. Folks, this is 
big. So I'll read the first couple of paragraphs. So workers at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, handed the online retail giant a decisive victory when they voted against forming a union and cut off a path that labor activists had hoped would lead to similar efforts throughout the company and beyond. Now, that's big because uh, because Amazon has um, uh, warehouses nationwide or worldwide, but nationwide as well. So if if one site organizes, it makes it just that much easier to take that template to all the other ones and do the same thing there. Um, so after a month of aggressive campaign on from both sides, 1,798 warehouse workers ultimately rejected the union, while 738 voted in favor of it according to the U.S. National Labor Relations Board, which is overseeing the process. One more paragraph. Of the 3,117 votes cast, 76 were voided for being filled out incorrectly, and 505 were contested by either Amazon or the retail. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) By either Amazon or the retail wholesale and department store unions, which led to the organization efforts in Bessemer. But the NLRB said the contested votes were not enough to sway the outcome. About 53% of nearly 6,000 workers cast their ballots. Folks, this is huge. Go ahead. Piggybacking on that, the NLRB received 3,215 mail-in ballots in the election in which 5,800 workers were eligible to vote. Were they to unionize, these workers would have become the first, very first, tip of the spear, unionized Amazon employees in the United States. <laughs> Bro, now, there's be- been a lot oh. leveraged back and forth, man. If you, if you read some of the other articles that are out there and some of the stuff going on, there, there was heated battles in sending messages directly to employees on behalf of the union criticizing and raking Amazon over the coals and going to town and trying to do everything that they could to stir the pot to get as many people inspired to get out there to vote. At the same time, Amazon was defending themselves and also putting up a huge campaign on their own side saying, get out and vote, vote this down. We take care of you. We love you. They even had signs in the urinals, in the restrooms. (laughs) They were everywhere, anywhere you turn. Discriminatory. That's it. So women don't get to see it unless they choose to go to the men's restroom. Forget it. Go ahead. It's not discriminatory. And they were in the ladies' restrooms in each stall. They were everywhere, allegedly, unproven and unfounded. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it was a heavy push on both sides. Now, some of these Amazon workers, we're talking about having to work like 10-hour days, right? And uh, 10-hour days, and they had, I believe... It was reported two breaks at 30 minutes apiece throughout the day. I, I don't know if there was notwithstanding a lunch, right? So say you've got two five-hour blocks, so then you work two and a half hours, you take a 30-minute break, you work another two and a half hours, you take your lunch, you work another two and a half hours, 30 minutes, two and a half, you're done. I presume, I don't know, you know, but they were trying to, the union was trying to leverage that really, really, really hard. Ultimately, at the end of the day, when you don't even reach like 60 percent of your workforce coming out to vote on it and you still lose in that election, is Amazon doing something right behind the scenes? Or are they, as the union says, doing something wrong and should be shut down? And and that's that. 
Well, you know, it's Amazon for, for the past five years, they've gotten a bad rap. It started with that article that came out, I believe it was in Time Magazine, talking about the work environments at the organization. And then other associates started their own blog, their own podcast, former associates. Yeah, but Amazon about- is such a terrible place to work. Nobody wants to work there. It's so but horrible. You, the pay and benefits are amazing. And then they won the I- landslide. They win the landslide. Oh, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Be, 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 because I have personal experience here. Um, I've There's an Amazon warehouse not too far from my house, and I know somebody who hang works on, there. Hang on, hang on. I have personal, I shop through Amazon. Go ahead. Oh, is that, so you do have, you know what? I Touche. You're 100% right. I love the. Uh, I love the, how like, you do this, though. You're like, I have, look, my friend's cousin's neighbor's daughter's best friend's uncle knows a guy that went to school with the kid in elementary who's over there now. I've been in that freaking warehouse, man. I've had conversations <laughs> with HR leadership there. And let me tell you, man, I I saw a lot of hustle and bustle. I saw a very busy warehouse. I saw a lot of employees moving with purpose, a lot of employees working with purpose. But you know what, JC? Here's what I didn't see. I didn't see relaxed employees. Now, I didn't get a chance to talk to them. I was just visiting and, and, and visiting my friend who works there in HR. But I saw some employees that were there's a fine line between being motivated and being rushed. And I don't know what which one that was, but I knew I do know this for I do know this for a fact. They're not relaxed and they're not they're not in a place where, from my point of view, that it's a good work environment. Now, granted, I did go in October. And I was uh, just ramping up into the busy holiday season. I don't know how it is in February or March after the holiday season. But I got to tell you, even with what I saw here, I could understand why the unions would have some kind of hunger to go in, start handing out cards, start talking to people and get the NLRB involved. Um, Now, to say that all these uh, 1,790. Hang on. Let me, let, let me piggyback on what you got there yeah. first real quick. And this yeah. goes back to the fall. This is actually something we brought up last year, even before the fall. Let's go, let's go even back further. I'm going to grab another one from even further back. We okay, brought this ahead. up multiple times. I don't have the clips from the show. But as of April 25th of 2019, according to The Verge, they revealed and released information on how Amazon automatically tracks and fires warehouse workers based on their productivity along the way. They they were able to obtain documents that shows that Amazon's fulfillment centers are the engine of the company at the end of the day in the massive warehouse where workers track, pack, sort, and shuffle each order before sending it on its way out to the buyer's door. Those workers are constantly being not just pressured to make rate, but they're being tracked throughout the actual warehouse based on their productivity to get the items out the door. I believe... Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't Amazon one of those entities that put something in place to electronically identify and track the employee as well? Like when they walk in and through, how'd it go? Wrist, a wrist, like a wristwatch. Um, as soon as you're walking, it, it's supposed to help you. So it's it's like an Apple Watch, but it's not as sophisticated. You're walking up and down the aisle, and depending how it vibrates, it tells you to go left, go right. Are you close? Are you far? But then what ended up happening is is that when they go on break. And it's almost time for your break. It reminds you. It vibrates, says, oh, your break is almost over, which gives the impression of Big Brother is watching. And you well, they are. Do not, well, I mean, they are, right? But 
the the reason they gave away those devices is to help with productivity on the floor, not to watch you when you're on break. So yes, of course unions are salivating, but to have over 17, almost 1,800 say no to the union and 738 say yes, either the union was way off base or Amazon pulled out all the stops for anti-union campaigns and trainings to the managers and the associates, which I think is the latter, to be honest. Um, I don't think the union would spend all this time and effort into a losing battle. I really think they thought they had a shot. Going back a couple days ago, Ricky, workers at the DIL3, a Chicago-area Amazon facility, walked out over the company's mega cycle. It's a graveyard shift that requires them to work from 1.20 a.m. to 11.50 a.m. Some of that organizing that's currently happening under the Amazonian umbrella is taking place under the banner of Amazonians United Chicagoland, a formation that looks different from a traditional union. According to a report in Vice, the DIL-3 workers' demands include scheduled accommodations for workers who cannot work at night, $2 an hour, additional megacycle shift pay, free lift rides to and from work, which are offered at Amazon's delivery station in New York City, and respect for workers' 20-minute paid breaks, going back to your uh, vibra- uh, vibrating. <laughs> Vibranium, yes. Yes, it's from Marvel. That's right. So that was just a couple days ago. <laughs> yeah, but So while this is uh, something that took place down in the South, where labor yeah. might be more in tune with kind of going along with the, the company line, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Chicago as well. And is, at the end of the day, the union the best choice and option for the workforce? So I, I am a huge advocate to let the associates choose. That's why I'm even, I'm even a bigger advocate on training leaders to just listen to your associates and treat them well, pay them well. And it, if, if you do those three things, it doesn't matter what the union says, you, you will never be infiltrated. But you just got to listen to your associates. Right. Even if there's every every group of people has that five percent who no matter what you give them, they're going to be unsatisfied. But that's fine. That five percent is not enough to to unionize. Now, if you got 30 percent that says here's some cards, which by law, if 30 percent of your employees say here, I got some cards. And now you have an election and then 50 percent plus one vote of people who show up to vote say, yes, you earned it. You deserved it. And whatever happens after that is exactly what should happen because you were not doing those three things to begin with. So respect your associates, so, pay attention to them, and treat them well. Allegedly, after the filing for the NLRB election in November of 2020, it is alleged that Amazon held captive audience meetings, mandatory sessions where workers heard management tell them why they should not unionize. Managers quote, lie in these meetings, and the ones in Bessemer are no exceptions, end quote. The company allegedly texted workers several times a day to urge them to vote no. They papered the facility's bathroom stalls with anti-union flyers. They outfitted temp workers ineligible for the union, but especially vulnerable to management pressure with vote no swag ensuring they'd serve as walking anti-union propaganda on the shop floor as temp workers. Amazon got guts, bro. 
Amazon has guts because that can easily go the wrong way. Now, can can Amazon leadership legally do that? Technically, the answer is yes. They can hold meetings to let them know about what are some of the ramifications of bringing the union in. But you got to be careful because if you lie, now you're in trouble. Now you're in trouble and then you're going to get hit with what's called a ULP, an unfair labor practice with the NLRB. But you can lie to that. And if the associates feel intimidated by voting one way or, or another, that's another ULP. If you promise them things that, hey, if you, if you vote no, I'm going to give you this bonus, that's illegal. You can't spy on them. So you got to be careful because whatever anti-unionization campaign strategy you put in place as a leadership organization, you've got to make sure that you don't threaten, you don't surveil, you don't promise, and you don't intimidate. You do all those three things, you're going to be okay. EPI.org, Economic Policy Institute, dating back to December 11, 2019. This piece of research has been cited quite a bit in many of the Amazon stories. This is the root publication titled, U.S. employers are charged with violating federal law in 41.5% of all union election campaigns by Celine McNichols, Margaret Poydock, Julia Wolf, Ben Zipperer, Gordon Laffer, and Lola Lustino, dated December 11, 2019, EPI.org. What the report finds, the data shows that U.S. employers are willing to use a wide range of legal and illegal tactics to frustrate the rights of workers to form unions and collectively bargain. Employers are charged with violating federal law in 41.5% of all union election campaigns, and one out of five union election campaigns involves a charge that a worker was illegally fired for union activity. Employers are charged with making threats, engaging in surveillance activities, or harassing workers in nearly a third of all union election campaigns. Beyond this, there are many things employers can do legally to thwart union organizing. Employers spend roughly $340 million annually on union avoidance. Yep. Specifically, union avoidance consultants to help them stave off union elections. The combination of illegal conduct and legal coercion has ensured that union elections are characterized by employer intimidation and in no way reflect the democratic process guaranteed by the NLRA. Not to be confused with the NRA, who is also <laughs> under provision of the Second Amendment of the Constitution. Thank you for that distinction, bro. <laughs> but you know what, JC, look, look, just, 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 I'm going to put pause for a second here. Um, when it comes to unionization efforts, it could be something as simple. The difference between getting unionized and not can be something as simple as learning the language. I'm going to tell you a little story real quick. And, 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 and this happened to me when I was working at Darden restaurants, I was one of two employee relations managers who spoke Spanish. And I was uh, also one of two who had unionization experience. So they flew me up to the, the Capitol grill in wall street, New York, where we had some issues. There, some union folks were coming into the restaurant, reading a statement in front of everybody, making a big scene. And then leaving, right? The more you know, right? So then I get there, I fly there, and one of the biggest issues is that the unions were saying that the associates wanted health care. The associate needed um, sick time. And they had it, they had sick time. And I just didn't understand why they were running on that premise. 
So I get there and I decide to take off my suit jacket, take off my tie, and I go to the back of the house to work with these associates. And I found out, which I knew this already, the back of the house spoke, 90% of them spoke only Spanish. Only Spanish. The leadership team, nobody spoke Spanish. And when I started talking to the associates just to get to know who they are, just to get to know what's going on, and they told me, here's, here's why I'm, um, I'm going for the union, and I'm telling them, you know you got sick pay, right? It's like, what? The guys did not know. So that, paused, that caused me to pause. I go to management, and I'm like, hey, did you know these guys back there don't know they got sick hours? They get sick pay? It's like, well, they should know because it's in the employee handbook. I'm like, but they don't read English. They don't speak English. Well, that's their problem. No, bro, it's yours. You hire them. Right. Either you require them to read and speak English. But if you're not going to require that, then you have to learn the language and communicate with them what kind of benefits they have. It's all about being a decent human being. So that's what these, these guys did. And I do. And they almost organized on them until I got involved and started having these conversations and bringing the back of the house and leadership together. So this is a situation where it could have gotten ugly for the Capitol Grill over at Darden Restaurants, but managers, um, it, it's I got to them early, and I got to um, to uh, um, I got to be that translator per se to let the associates know what kind of benefits they had. Uh, ultimately, they didn't unionize. They, they, so, but I guess what, what I'm trying to say is a lot of these things can be avoided if it's just something as simple as being able to communicate with your employees and being able to provide a place where they feel safe to work and they don't have to look elsewhere for that kind of safety. But yeah, you can easily fall into that trap. Easily. But yeah, it's uh, I'm glad that happened over at a, at a, at a Amazon, I'm glad the associates got to choose. You know what? Even if the associates choose for union, I'm not a big union person. But if the associates feel they need it, then the, the organization is obviously doing something wrong. But over here, they Amazon did it. Wrapping did up it. with the EBI.org piece here, employers were more likely to be charged with violating the law where there were larger bargaining units. More than half, 54.4% of employers in elections involving more than 60 employees, roughly 25% of all elections, were charged with violating federal law. Mm. And that's all lack of knowledge. Lack of Ricky, training. what's a union avoidance advisor? Do you find them on LinkedIn, Craigslist, Glassdoor? A union avoidance advisor or a consultant is an organization or a group of people that specialize in helping organizations stave off a union election if it gets that far. Or if they kind of smell something is happening, they specialize in putting presentations, putting trainings together for the associates to fully understand. Um, <laughs> sorry. sorry, I'm talking. And I'm watching. <laughs> well, okay, folks, I'm sorry. JC, leave this in. I'm talking, right? And uh, the way I have my, my studio set up, I'm looking outside the window. And there's this, this guy running, right, uh, with his dog. And the guy is huffing and puffing. And I guess the guy let go of the leash and the dog picked it up and the dog is walking himself. <laughs> He's barking back at the guy. <laughs> Almost as if hurry up. <laughs> Sorry. That threw that threw me off. I don't even know what I was talking about, bro. What was I talking about? That really threw me off. Stuff with things. 
stuff with things. I'm sorry, guys. It, it's that really tickled me. Um, no. So yeah. Oh, no, no. You didn't avoidance consultant. That's what they do. And if a company is really smart, they'll bring a union avoiding consultant before they even need, before they get any sense of union cards running around, before they have any salting involved, because they can create programs to make sure and fill gaps in their, in their employee people strategy to make sure no type of union comes into their office and start talking to the associates, corrupting their minds. So that's who they are. And I've done that as well at Biasco Learning. We do anti-union strategies, something that uh, I take pride in. Um, again, not because I'm anti-union, but because I want to teach <laughs> managers. I wanna, I'm, I'm not anti-union, right, per se, right? But I'd rather not deal with came, them. But- it came out funny. It just came out funny the way you said it. You know, we specialize it, but I don't hate them. No, no. <laughs> no I don't. Because, again, I, I understand why they exist. And they have to exist because you do have some a-hole uh, uh, managers and business leaders out there that do create a horrible work environment for associates. So if they get unionized, they deserve it. Dude, I work for the county. They have five. Orange County government has five bargaining units. What's even worse? That the you fire know department? of. Well, well, I mean, if I didn't, well, I mean, if they have an underground fight club, that would be awesome. <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, uh, Orange County Corrections not too long ago got in trouble uh, with with the media because they were running a underground fighting ring. In what? You don't know this? No. What are you talking about, Ricky Bias? Oh, my God, bro. About 15 years ago, 15, 12 years ago when I worked there. Um, they have Orange County Corrections, and again, this is not secret. This this all came out in the news. Orange County Corrections officers, some of them got in trouble because they were coercing inmates to fight, recording them, and then selling DVDs. Yeah, so I guess they do have an underground <laughs> fighting ring. That was like 12, 15 years ago. No, but anyway, um, it, it's so, but look, the, the fire department, JC, they got two bargaining units, one for the firefighters and then one for the battalion chiefs. Just, just think, no, think about that for a second. That's pretty cool. If you want to form a union, it's because the manager, the man, big brother, is not treating you properly. In the fire department's uh, uh, um, point of view, the battalion chiefs are the managers, and they need a union from who? That's how toxic that place is over there. And I'm not afraid to say that was back then. I'm pretty sure right now it's a little bit different. But if you have so many different bargaining units in any organization, it kind of tells you what kind of leadership you have in place. Right. It's that's not a uh, a popular opinion. But at the end of the day, if it, it's look. If you wear a seatbelt, that's because you're in a car and it's potentially dangerous, right? You're not going to wear a seatbelt if the car is just parked in your garage, right? So same thing here, right? If if you have a union, it's because your employees are fed up with the kind of shit that you're at. Look at that. I messed up my streak. I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to leave it to you, JC. Go ahead. We've got uh, nine minutes till the top of the hour and a mandatory what? brand new segment and break at the top of the hour. But first, uh, coming from Sherm.org. I mean, this up. is going to be pretty quick here. Need you to uh, be on your toes, Bias. Sherm, emerging professional champions. Ashley Duggar, Sherm CP. As part of an effort to recognize the next generation of human resource leaders, the Society for Human Resource Management, Sherm, is naming students, alumni, and others who work on behalf of emerging professionals as Sherm emerging professional champions. 
This week, kudos go out to Ashley Duggar, DBA, Sherm CP, Program Chair, Human Resource Management for Western Governors University, WGU in Salt Lake City. Big kudos going out to Ashley Duggar. Good job, Ashley. In the article, it states, quote, When I was an undergrad, all of my advisors kept telling me to major in business because it would be broad enough to give me the foundational skills I needed and could open the door to a number of different things. So I got into business. I really enjoyed what I was learning, but I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it. At the time, Duggar was working full-time as the Assistant Director of Admissions at Liberty. She oversaw a team of about 65 people and performed various HR tasks, including hiring, performance management, training, and development. She found that those aspects were what she liked best about her job. After earning her MBA, that's M like Mike, B like Bravo, A like Alpha, MBA, she decided to take things one step further. Quote, I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it all the way. I'm going to pursue a doctorate program again just to create more opportunity. It wasn't really for a specific role at that point. The shelter had undergone a multi-year capital campaign to build a huge new shelter. They quadrupled the size of their staff for the new building and needed someone who could handle operations, do some HR work. So she stepped in and made some magic happen. Ricky Baez, Ashley Duggar, the professional that we've all been waiting for. Excellent Fine. piece on her. Stop by Sherm.org for the full article. I feel like I'm a Star Wars and she's the one. She's the one that all the prophecies have been talking about. She's the Jedi to bring balance to the force. How do you feel about the emerging professional champion highlight series? I like this from Sherm. Have you read these yet? I have not. Oh, I, my I, gosh. They're fantastic. They do, they do a full biography on the individual. Um, they do a great write-up. It's, it's much in line with the interview style of what we've been doing on HR Talk all along, uh, affording people that opportunity to tell their story in their own words, share their thoughts and visions for the future, and the, the best part is it's in text. You know, I mean, Ashley Duggar out of Utah, I'd love to have her on the show after reading this article. And I, I, a big special kudos going on to the team at Sherm for doing this and putting this together. They're amazing. Very great. Love no, it. it. It's good that they're doing highlights. That way organizations out there can see what kind of HR professionals are going out into the workforce. What kind of people are out there right now? Because I'm sure there are organizations out there who still see HR quote unquote, as in personnel, as in the old HR, when they come in and they tell us all the different ways we can't conduct business. So it's good that they're doing it. They're highlighting that skill set that they're going to need to help align HR strategies to business goal. That's awesome. You've got uh, probably about five minutes or so till the top of the hour here in our brand new surprise segment you're not aware of. So uh, before we hit that here, you got five minutes over to you. Um, I saw the guy come back around. He still doesn't have the leash. The The dog is still running. <laughs> that poor guy. I'm going to keep, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go driving looking for him. He does not look like he is going to make it. So that's how I'm using up those five minutes. <laughs> go ahead. Killing me. Killing me right All right. You are listening to HR Talk. We are nearing the top of the hour for our brand new 
PSA and funder segment. Please stand by for some special words. The auto industry has made incredible advancements on technology and safety and vehicles. But what if I told you there's a feature on every car that's standard that not only will help prevent crashes, but also help prevent road rage a little bit. Let me show you. So if you look at your steering wheel here, to the left side of your steering wheel, there's this stick that comes out. And it's pretty incredible. It's called a turn signal. If you push it down, let me show you what it does. It's amazing. On the front of your car, it starts making a light flash. Now, if you push it down, it, it indicates that you're going to turn to the left. But not only on the front, let me show you what else it does here. On the back of your car, it also flashes a light, indicating that you're going to turn left or make a lane change. Now, it does just the opposite if you push it up. Again, it's right here next to your steering wheel. It may require that you put down your coffee or your cell phone or whatever you have in your hands so that you can safely drive. And if you push it up, it indicates that you're going to go right. Now, this is not only the right thing to do, it's not only against the law not to use it, but it's the courteous thing to do. And it's going to help people around you understand your indication that you're going to make a lane movement or make a turn. So please, use your turn signal. Big thank you going out to the Indiana State Police for that PSA on turn signals right there. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. And with that being said, we also know what time it is. Let's let you see life from another perspective. They can expand the mind and awareness. These are inspirational quotes. It's Ricky Baez. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Inspirational quotes with Ricky Baez. Stand by for your quote of the week. Nurture. Respect. Communication, love, safety, like a marriage. These are also things that employees need. Don't be an a-hole. Love your employees. Amazing words from Ricky Baez. Treat your employees like you're married to them. Is, no. that what, is that what you meant? That is not what I said. I was no. extrapolating a little bit. I think that's kind of where you were going. I, did I get that no. wrong? No, yes, you did get that wrong. <laughs> Do not treat your employees Ted, like you're married. Ted, get over here. I need you to take the recycling out. <laughs> that's not what I meant. You know what I meant. This union thing got me all, all riled up. Sorry, bro. Take us down yeah. the other path that you had. You had a special story out of New York City, didn't you? Oh, my God. Yeah, This one, I don't know how I feel about this one. Now, this is out of the dailynews.com. Uh, this was on April 6th by Molly Crane Newman. So this is titled NYC Doorman Fired for Failing to Aid Asian-American Woman Attack Outside Luxury Apartment. 32 BJSEIU Union Calls for a Fair Process. So a New York City doorman and a concierge were fired Tuesday for failing to come to the aid of a Filipino woman as she was brutally attacked and peppered with racist insults from their eye, in front of their eyes. So the Brodsky organization announced the, the dismissal a week after the disturbing footage of the horrific attack surfaced that shows the woman struggling to fend off her six-foot-two attacker while one of the men moves quietly to close the front entrance to the luxury midtown apartment building. <sighs> I'm on the fence on that one. 
Why? Because it really all that look, look, if you see somebody that needs help, if you're able to help, go help them. Right? Definitely go help them. But what is the organization seeing here? Is the organization seeing here that if any associate sees any other person needing some help, they have to get involved? What if they do get involved and in the process they get hurt? In the process they get shot or stabbed? In the process they died? What is the legal liability for the organization? Organizations need to be really careful when they do things like this because they do the knee-jerk reaction. They're trying to get uh, their name in the papers and they're trying to do the the right thing, but they're not. They don't really know what kind of precedence they are setting. Now, again, I'm not saying they shouldn't have gotten involved, right? If they were able to do so, help the associate out. But I think for an for a company to fire these associates. It, it puts a bad precedence out there that other associates need to get involved. And if they get hurt, that's workers' comp. And if they get killed, what is the liability for the organization? So that's why this one got to me a little bit because, look, the poor lady who got attacked, yeah, she needs to be able to, to, to be safe and people to aid her. But I just don't know if this was the right move. I want to see the employee hand, but what it says about that. Because wouldn't that be workplace violence then? So it, it, it's it's that's why this story kind of got to me a little. It happened bit. on the street, though, right? It did happen. Correct. It did happen on the street, and 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 they're working the, in the building. The duty is that their, their job is they're a doorman or woman, doorman. Oh, yeah, doorman. Correct. And they, they're job. at the front door, so their mm-hmm. workplace is technically right there. It, right there. Now. Isn't that what happened to Seinfeld in the last episode? They didn't help somebody. They had to go to court. Is that a law? Anyway, no. Look, so it happened outside, but I really think because that video came out, and I, I'm assuming there was an outcry on the internet, and I guess the organization had to do something. I I really think they did the wrong thing here. I really think they did, and um, I just want to see the employee handbook. I want to see exactly what it says about that. And hopefully our attorney friends can call in and let us know or just chime in sometime when the show airs. But I would love to know the legal aspect of that, of what kind of liability the organization has put in. So if someone is in dire need, they're they're experiencing a a problem, there's, there's a violence issue taking place. And you work there. Mm hmm. It's happening in the outside the drive-thru of your local Wendy's or something. Okay. Do you do you assist? Do you call nine one one? Do you get involved? Where do you draw that line of demarcation? And then, from an HR perspective, if the employee takes action versus not taking action, it's a double-edged sword. It's almost like the employee could be fired no matter what. Right. That's what I'm saying. It, it, it's that's why leadership needs to have a good stra- a, a good policy for this for their associates and run through different scenarios. That way, they know what to do. Calling nine one one, anybody can do this. So yes, definitely call nine one one. It's interesting though. We we've talked about the prudent person rule in the past, and we also just talked about employers influencing union elections. Right. Yep. So, can an employer influence? What is considered a prudent person action? They, they can. They can influence. In a normal situation, you would step in and you would help. 
you're not in a normal situation. You're on the job. It's not your job, and you don't want to lose your job. That's what's happening right now. So if I was their HR, here's what I would tell the associates. If you see somebody in trouble, if you can render aid, render aid if you feel you can do so. I don't want you to feel like you have to, but if you feel safe to do so, especially if it's out of your out of your job t- description. They if if anything, now I'm I'm gonna be the a-hole here. If anything, they did their job, right? Because their job is a doorman. So if they saw something happening, they closed the door, they don't belong to the building, their job is security for the building, right? So if you take the emotions out of it, dude. Everybody who's not watching, uh, JC's giving me the Bert eyes. Bert and Ernie, he looks just like Bert with those eyes. That's weird. So, yeah, if if that's not their job, but, yeah, it doesn't look good that they just closed that door. But what if that doorman was, I don't know, 80 years old and had a heart condition and they feel compelled to jump in because of the story they don't want to lose their job? Now they get a heart attack. I'm telling you, they're going to get sued and they're going to get in trouble just because they wanted to be the company, the woke company to help this uh, this poor lady out. Now, at the end of the day, the lady is the one who who really got the worst of it. These two associates got fired. It's just a horrible story all around. And I said it was important. To call out. It, it was important to call out because um, it, it's as as HR leaders and business owners, we got to make sh- we got to be careful what what kind of. Um, what kind of actions we do that creates another adverse action later on that could get the organization in trouble. Have conversations with your associate. On you. It's time for Current Events. Current Events this week is brought to us in part by the Indiana State Troopers. Don't forget, you do have a turn signal on your car. Not in Florida. What? <laughs> Not in Florida. Not in Florida? Nope. Offer not valid here. <laughs> oh, that's well, funny. Hey, uh, your first uh, story here, We and really, this could be a uh, whole show in and of itself, but we're going to use this in our current events piece. This is coming from uh, WacoTrib.com. Mike Copeland, $90 million Whataburger bonuses uh, are go- being passed oh. around. New hand camera dean, rebuild bushes and Subaru move ultimately at the end of the day. But we're gonna we're gonna hone in on Whataburger. This is some local coverage for us. Texas's own Whataburger chain announced it has awarded ninety million dollars in thank you bonuses to staffers who have preserved during the pandemic and for efforts during February's winter storms. Whataburger also will change its compensation plan for general managers potentially giving them access to sweeter deals and changing their title to operating partners, according to a press release. Operating partners are a business are business leaders who run multi-million dollar restaurants, take care of their teams, and serve as the face of Whataburger in communities. Whataburger CEO Ed Nelson said this in a press release, they are the hearts and souls of our brand. Founded in Corpus Christi, Texas, and now based in San Antonio, Whataburger was family-owned until 2019, when it was bought by BDT Capital Partners, a private equity firm that invests in family-run companies. Besides Uh shelling out $90 million in bonuses, Whataburger doubled the company's matching contributions to what employees put into their 401k funds. Uh 
last year, according to this press release. The chain has 840 locations in 10 states with annual sales of, guess what their annual sales are at Whataburger, Rick? Um, One billion. $2.5 billion. Wow. <laughs> Over to you. Not know that piece. Holy, yeah, I do see it right here. The regional, wow, 2.5 billion. You know what? Um, as you was reading that story, because I did read about this last week, as you as you was reading that story, I'm Googling Whataburger, unions. Nothing came up. Nothing came up, right? So it, it's, it's, I don't know if they are unionized or not, but I know this is a really good way not to get, not to get a union sniffing around your backyard. So Whataburger, they did what other organizations should do. If they thrive during the pandemic, if you have associates that left the safety of their home, that left their families to come work and make money and then make you money and create that experience for the customers and you and you thrive, yes, give them a cut of that. And thank Whataburger for doing that. Sorry. It, it, it's, that is one of the stories that I wish we had more of because – I mean, it's it's again, that staves away unions. People want to work for you and people don't want to leave working for you. And that's what you want. So, you know, awesome. Love, love, love Your next story here is coming to us from Sherm.org by Lisa Nagel Piazza, J.D. Sherm, SCP. I hope I said the back half of your name, JDS uh, Sherm SCP, the right way. I do see that that was hyphenated, Lisa Nagel Piazza. Lisa Nagel hyphen Piazza, comma JD Sherm hyphen SCP. So she's a lawyer. Got it. Okay. HR leaders must approach compliance through empathy. Next story, or is that it? <laughs> that was it? That, that's Against the wrote. current backdrop of global oh, it, pandemic, business disruptions, and calls for racial justice, HR leaders must approach compliance using the lens of empathy. Now, more than ever. That was said by Johnny C. Taylor during Sherm's Employment Law and Compliance Virtual Conference on April 6th. Taylor addressed the empathy deficit in the workplace and beyond. Quote, we have given up on understanding the hearts of our fellow humans. According to a 2020 Sherm survey, 41% of workers reported feeling burned out from their work. 23% reported often feeling depressed. Additionally, according to Sherm's The Journey to Equity and Inclusion Research Report, 33% of black workers reported feeling unvalued at work, and 20% of all workers reported feeling the same. Collectively, the human cost of the events of last year are hard to assess, said Johnny C. Taylor Jr. We must. (laughs) Don't make me laugh. Oh, you're killing me. We must rebuild the trust of those trying to heal. Sherm is emphasizing putting empathy into practice. Their chief global development officer, Nick Schott, Sherm SCP, observed that when people hear the word empathy, they're inclined to dismiss it as a soft skill. But empathy is a business skill that people need to master. Just like many of those people that are on the phones, helping others, interacting with other humans 
through the computers. Meeting people in person, face-to-face. Empathy is not a soft skill. It's not. It is not. I'm glad I'm glad they're putting a big push on that. Because when people are focusing on moving the needle from A to B, finances for for-profit organizations, they tend to forget the human aspect. So they so say I'm, here, Ricky, what can HR there. do? And they answer that question firmly. They did? Firmly. So Got it. HR professionals are in a unique position to take care of the following actions. Consistently make business cases to leadership team for more empathetic workplaces that can attract and retain the best people. Help the organization make the connection between empathy and performance. Research from the Center for Creative Leadership shows that organizations perform better with empathy. Train frontline managers on how to lead with empathy. Empathetic managers look for signs that direct reports may be overworked or stressed and show sincere interest in the needs of their employees. Even a five-minute check-in call with a remote worker can go a very long way. And with the support of our managers, HR doesn't need to do it all. But we do have to lead. We have to lead that charge, according to Johnny C. Taylor. There's a lot more in this piece. It's an amazing article, Ricky Baez. I highly recommend giving this a read. I need to it's at Sherm.org. It was written by Lisa Nagel, Piazza, JD, Sherm, SCP. I, Empathy I, I, in the workplace. Casey, I think, I think you have a wonderful career in doing voiceovers for grievances. If nobody can read a position statement and just bring you in and read it just like that, you know how entertaining grievances would be? You know how depositions would go? Do me a favor. Do me a favor. Pull up a uh, pull up a historical deposition for next show. Let's do it. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. You read it so poetic, right? And the- I... I Thank want to you. see how that would sound like. Yeah. So Thank good you. Job. No, I appreciate that. You know, the uh, the lack of empathy in the workforce is a is a hot button issue for me personally. You know, but we we've seen it time and again. We know that there's there's concerns there as we're moving from an old hat infrastructure to to modern day and beyond, to infinity and beyond. Can't go beyond infinity. Infinity and beyond. Got it. And through all this, Ricky Baez, there's a lot when it comes to the importance of empathy. And a lot of people don't understand the emotional intent. Yes, EQ, we've heard EQ, we've heard IQ, we've heard PQ, we've heard PIG, we've heard DMX, we've heard all these things, right? (laughs) OPP. (laughs) Right. I'm down with it. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky Baez, he'll be at the Sherman Space Coast Conference, April 21st. Stop by. So... It's it's a keynote. It's a highlight. And and you could talk about it all you want, but until you actually start to put it in practice in your day-to-day, it's a completely different ball of wax. You could you could now and, and when I say you, it's the proverbial you. 
It's all of you. You take a look at the way that you're grabbing metrics in that remote work environment as your employees are virtualized. You're Mm -hmm. capitalizing on new technologies. You're not going to align with the 1% that Preston Brown was talking about earlier. And you're going to use technology to your advantage. And you're going to implore your employees to remain efficient and stay on top of the ball and all this other stuff. And you're going to aggregate the data. And now you have more information and analytics and you can play money ball bigger than anyone out there. And at the same time, you stop talking to your employee. You stop talking to them. Oh, yeah, it's been four weeks since I touched base with you. How you doing? Oh, yeah, I signed two of your time cards in the meantime. <laughs> oh, th- <laughs> thanks, Brick. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's that's the guy's name, Prick. Um, oh, it is. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, first name. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even going to tell you the last name. Oh, don't do it. Daily. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking Prick? Freaking. No, last Freaking. name Daily. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. No, Daily. don't sue me. <laughs> so. <laughs> No, I mean, like, at the end of the day, you got to, like, pull it together. Pull it together. Put it all together in one bundle, one box. Being a leader nowadays is more than, than a one-fasted thing. In, in the same way that interviewing people is more than a one-fasted, hardline type thing. Like, bring your empathy to the table and be compassionate. Be a human and, and have actual conversations with people again. And don't just base everything solely off data because when you do, you lose. You're going to lose. Yep. You're going to lose every time. Trust me, I've lived through the digital transition with the public broadcasting system and the entire television industry from the year 2000 all the way up until 2010. And then I accidentally found myself on the tertiary end of human resources. And look, boom, here we are going through the same damn thing again, just in a different industry. You will lose when you solely focus on the game of numbers and you forget the people. And then what's going to happen five to 10 years down the line? You're going to have all this quality data. You're going to have these amazing computers to do good things. And you're going to start hiring new people because you lost your institutional knowledge out the door when you could have helped retrain them or reposition them as key assets as you continue to move forward. So don't make the same mistakes as trying to go from the old tube TV to 1080p with the free converter box that the government's giving you to 4K to 8K to 16K to who does whatever behind the scenes. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Focus focus on the person, focus on the human. Right. And 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 if you need help with that, I'll t- I'll help you. Reach out to Ricky. I'll, I'll I'll stop by. I'll give you a keynote speech on the failures and how to not do that. There you go. No, seriously. 100% right. I got mad. Your next current event story is coming to us from a place far, far, far away. Miami? No. Oh. No, much further, Ricky. Oh. Uh, take, a, take a guess real quick. Really far away? Really Antarctica. far away. Antarctica. Ah, uh, kind of. Buffalo? The world is coming undone. Imperial flags rain across the galaxy. So from a place very far away, Gilantartica Workbright has a brand new job posting for You Won't Believe It, Human Resource Generalist, HR Generalist in Centennial, Colorado. Have you ever wanted to work in Antarctica? What? This position for an HR Generalist reports directly to Human Resources, located out of Centennial, Colorado, 
You must be willing to deploy to Antarctica as needed. You will report you directly to the human resource manager and the program manager. You will not supervise anybody. You will be <laughs> exempt according to FLSA. And effective March 1st, your pay ban will be between sixty dollars and $70,000. Here's the summary of duties. You can perform a variety of recruiting and follow-up HR duties in accordance with standard procedures with minimal supervision and guidance. Responsibilities include the recruiting, hiring, tracking, and assistance in PQ development of GSE contract personnel. Also responsible for payroll, invoicing, and other financial responsibilities. Provide support to HR managers and the GSE program manager as needed. And guess what? You could be in Antarctica. You're going to take care of HR. You're going to take care of payroll and invoicing. You're going to understand and comply with all the GSC and ASC policies and procedures. You're going to handle very confidential matters, maybe that of aliens. Offer support to associates with payroll questions or issues liaison to payroll and benefit providers. Assist GSC program managers with financial and other performance measures for the betterment of the program. Your education High school diploma or GED is required. A bachelor's degree or equivalent work experience is preferred. And again, with just a high school diploma, you too could be making $68,000. I rebel. Minimum two years administrative support experience is required. The HR resources expertise is preferred, but not required. Strong attention to detail, ability to effectively multitask, process orientation, and able to manage multiple tasks and projects. Strong knowledge and understanding of computer programs to include Microsoft Outlook, Excel, Word, and PowerPoint, and how to use a mouse. Customer service focus and strong communication skills. U.S. citizenship or permanent residency is required. Stop by Kill Antarctica, WorkRideATS.com. HR General is Centennial, Colorado. This is taking care of the base that they have in Antarctica. There's two shifts. Either you're going to be in the shift where you work from October through to February. Or you could be the other shift where the people that you recruit and hire work from February till October in the dark. It's amazing. It's Antarctica. That was amazing, man. <laughs> you too could get that type of commercial read for your business should you desire to stop by Biasco or whatever the fucking website is nowadays. Biasco.com. <laughs> good there Lord. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was good, bro. Now, ho- now, hold on, hold on. Yeah, could you imagine? Could you imagine? You know what? No, I'm not gonna say it. I have an idea. Say it. No, say it. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's for off the air. It's okay. a great. Well, idea. I'm gonna position the. Can you imagine? Could you imagine actually having the opportunity to work in Antarctica where they pay for your food, they have uniforms for you to wear, they pay for your lodging, you get like a six month vacation, you literally make like sixty, seventy thousand dollars. And everything else is paid for. I'm sorry. $70,000 is not enough for me to be away from my listen, family and living in, in Antarctica. Listen. Antarctica. No. If, if you go down from like October till February, you get some of the most pristine views of the entire night sky. Some of the premier, some of the premier scientific research takes place down there. You know, COVID it's me. 
is an, a, a, a very amazing thing going COVID-20. What are you talking about? Attacked by, attacked by a penguin? No, Antarctica. There's nothing there. There's no Starbucks. There's no McDonald's. There's no ale house. No, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not for me. I would go there. No, I'm not doing it. Yeah. All right. Your last current event story before the Florida man segment. This is coming to us from DailyMail.co.uk. Navy chief says he is clueless about the origin of a flashing tic-tac-shaped UFO that menaced four U.S. destroyers off the coast of California. This is uh, April 6th of this year. Admiral Michael Gilday, the chief of naval operations, says his investigation has failed to identify drones that harried four U.S. naval destroyers in July of 2019. Sailors spotted up to six drones that were able to travel long distances with breathtaking skills, speed, and maneuverability. Experts had theorized the unidentified aircraft may have come from a top-secret U.S. military program. But after Gilday's admission, some suggest they were built by a rival military power or something else beyond our understanding is going on. Lawmakers have ordered intelligence agencies and the Pentagon to reveal everything they know about UFO encounters by June 1st. Mm -hmm. And don't forget, there's a job posting to go work in Antarctica. You put two and two together. Ricky, bias back to you. Um, uh, You know, stories like this fascinate the living daylights out of me. It's things like that that you can't explain. You can't understand. You get high ranking officials who actually come out on the news and start talking about these things that we can't understand. I love those things. I'm still not going to Antarctica for $70,000 a year. That's not happening. Ricky Bias, we got six minutes on the clock to the end of the show. Uh, if you could please pull up the Florida Mag segments, I'm going to play the intro. You lead with the first Florida story that you desire. It's time for Florida Man Story. All right, so here's here is one that made the rounds here in Central Florida. I know this one. This one is from WDWNT.com, worldwide leader in Disney Parks News on April 11th. Walt Disney World guests arrested after sneaking through temperature checks. While most guests have been happy to follow Disney COVID-19 safety protocols, some have been more confrontational. One guest protested his arrest after he skipped the mandatory temperature screening and refused to comply with security. Kelly Sills, 47, was visiting Walt Disney World from Louisiana on February 13th when he refused to comply with a temperature screening at Disney Springs. He evaded the temperature check stations and was confronted outside the boathouse. That's a restaurant over there. After being asked to cooperate with the temperature screening or leave the property, Sills refused and and was arrested. He claimed that after spending $15,000 on his vacation, he was entitled to stay on property. Quote, I paid $15,000. You can't trespass me for paying $15,000, Sills said. He was also trespassed from all Disney property as a result of the incident. Oh, man. Let me tell you, people, I love people like that. And the reason I love people like that is because... Was it oral? Or laser to the forehead or the what? What? The temperature oh. check. <laughs> you really caught me. All right, guard. sir. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> Could you step over to this private booth? <laughs> no, it's uh it's, he grabs it's you like, over the shoulder, escorts no. you. <laughs> Come on now. And they might have a different line. 
Um, no, Disney, it's the little temperature thing to the head. And it's, uh, it's annoying, right? But look, if you want to go on private property, regardless how much you spent, you can spend $2 million. You don't follow the rules. Then you negate any kind of a contractual agreement or monetary agreement you had with the organization. I'm going to throw a few things at you. You pick which one you want. It's going to be real fast. Handcuffed Florida man steals Kansas Highway Patrol car. Florida man accused of stealing ambulance from hospital. Florida man drives lawnmower across state on mission to help Habitat for Humanity. South Florida man wins $1,000 a day for cash for life game scratch off. Florida woman who deliberately coughed on cancer patient gets 30 days in jail. Wow. Pick one. Um. I want to hear about the Florida man that stole the patrol car from a different state. All right. Coming to us from the New York Post, written by Kathy Ann Boniello. A Florida man in police custody in Kansas allegedly stole a police car and drove off, apparently without the use of his hands. A Kansas Highway Patrol officer was bringing Joshua Swartwout, 23 years old, to a local detention facility Saturday. They had to pull over to help out a motorcycle crash scene along the way near the town of Atwood, according to KSN News. That's when Swartwood managed to get behind the wheel of the officer's car and drive off, leading police on a wild goose chase that only ended when the cop car ran out of gas in the town of Edson about one hour away. Determined not to get caught, Swartwout got out and continued running. According to K-A-K-E, Kaki, an ABC affiliate, he still had his hands in cuffs behind his back. After finally catching him, authorities managed to get Swartwout to the county jail without any other problems and driving an hour and a half back. Ricky Baez, back to you. Meanwhile, the state trooper got a final written warning because this is not the first time that happened, <laughs> right? Now, I don't know that to be a fact, but I'm pretty sure there has to be some kind of ridicule when he gets back to the office, the uh, the estate trooper. How can you let somebody who's handcuffed behind his back get to the front of the vehicle, steal it, and drive for, what, an hour and a half? Florida man. <laughs> right? Florida man. Can, that is a super... Attention, Netflix. Let JC and I know. We will definitely write that screenplay for the Florida man superhero series for Netflix. Ricky Baez, final thoughts over to you. Final thoughts, unions, folks, I am passionate about this subject. I am passionate because I understand why unions exist, and I do believe in creating a work environment where where employees can come in, exhibit the skills that you're paying them to do, feel feel valued, and then go home and be with their families. If you don't do that, if you don't provide that to your associates, somebody else will. So you might as well do it yourself and see yourself the headache and money. We will be seeing you April 21st at the Space Coast HR Conference in Melbourne, Florida. It's been a pleasure to be here back once again on HR Talk. We're going to have more pop-outs as the week goes by in regards to the conference, but it is sold out. Big kudos going out to all attendees. We will be live on the floor. We'll bring some shows live to you as well through the span of the process. On behalf of... Dave the Intern, the face of the franchise, Ricky Baez, his entire extended family, his dog, formerly known as Pupcake, and I, JC. Drive safe. Have a good night.
Now the dog is running with the leash. I can't find the guy. 